Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. We are in Philemon for one more week. This is our our concluding Sunday of our three-week series in the little-known letter of Philemon. It's a a brief letter in the New Testament. As I shared the first Sunday we were here, it doesn't even have chapters. It just has 25 verses. It's a really brief letter. And in fact, your experience may be that what, what Kara's is. Kara is a part of our 101 class that just started this last Wednesday. And Kara shared with me during class, she said, you know what? I've been a church, part of the church for a long time. I'm, I think, measured in decades. And she said, I have never heard a sermon on Philemon, let alone three. Um, and so probably a lot of you may be having that same experience. But here's why we're spending three weeks on such a short letter. It's because there's so much rich application in it. And we didn't want to rush through it and miss the opportunity to put down deep roots in this text and let it shape our, our lives and our faith. And so um, just to recap, uh, without recapping, week one was kind of our overview of the text. Uh, we went through and pieced together what was happening in the letter in its, in its original context and looking at historically what was happening. And then we specifically applied it through the lenses of Onesimus. So there's three main characters in this book, in addition to the, the church that's being written to. And so that's Onesimus and Philemon and Paul. And so the first week, we, the lenses that we looked at application through were, were Onesimus. And he was, a, uh, he was a, a runaway, kind of a, a, really a fugitive. Uh, he was a fugitive slave who had run away, bond servant in their day. And he had run away and was about 1,300 miles away in Rome. So we applied it from his perspective. In week two... Uh, and you can find that message online. If you weren't um, there for that, I would encourage you to go, to go catch both either last two weeks because that's the foundation for what we're going to be processing today as well. Uh, last week, Pastor Brent took us through chapter two or through the, the second um, lenses, and that was looking at it through the lenses of Philemon and also the app, how the house church that he was writing to might have applied it um, because they were the first recipients of Paul's letter. They were the first audience to, to have heard this letter. And one of the things that Pastor Brent talked about and we spent some time on last week was the topic of church hurt and how we within the church have often experienced hurt. Sometimes we're the one harming someone else. Sometimes we're the one uh, being harmed. Oftentimes it's not that clean. It's actually both. Um, but, but how do we reconcile? How do we walk in forgiveness? That's what Pastor Jesse walked us through during communion this morning, is that need for ongoing reconciliation, not only between God and us, but between us and one another. And I read a quote this week that I think is really helpful for both week one and week two, because both of those weeks, the topic was forgiveness. Week one, we were talking about when we need to ask forgiveness. Week two was talking about when we need to process having been hurt and how do, we, how do we extend forgiveness. And I read this quote, and I think it's really helpful. It's from author David Garland. It goes like this. He said, C.S. Lewis has said that we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. C.S. Lewis. 
We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. And then David goes on to say, forgiving real life sinners who have seriously damaged us is difficult. This is just being honest. Forgiving real life sinners who have seriously damaged us is difficult. It takes work and prayer. Lewis perceptively recognized that we need to forgive our brother or sister 70 times seven, not only for the 490 separate offenses, but for the one offense. Forgiveness may therefore take time. I suspect that many of us who were part of last Sunday's message, whether online or, or on campus, we it, it awaken things, awaken memories, the things that we've walked through, and maybe even things that we've forgiven others for. But what can happen is something can touch those things and we realize, oh, I need to ask, I need to offer forgiveness again. The forgiveness is a process. And what we want to say this morning is that forgiveness, it's, it's a work of grace. Grace is, is God's undeserved favor. Grace is also the empowerment of his new life inside of us. Forgiving someone who's seriously harmed us, it's, that's not a, a something we can do just in our limited human capacity. Forgiving someone, that's an act of grace that comes from a gracious God who's done that for us and that empowers us, that wants us to forgive. And so if you find yourself in that process of needing to forgive again for something that you've already extended forgiveness for or prayed for forgiveness for, that's a process and it's a grace-based process. And so even this morning as we receive communion, it's that reminder, Jesus, you gave your life to extend forgiveness to me, would you help me to forgive and extend forgiveness again to this person who's harmed me? So um, that's the first two weeks. As we conclude our series today, we're gonna be applying it through Paul's lenses. So Paul's the author. He's the one who wrote the letter and sent it. We're gonna be applying it through his. And rather than try and reteach the, the passage, I taught the passage two weeks ago in week one. I'm not going to reteach it. I thought we would just um, use the Bible Project's summary video. So Bible Project is, a, uh, is a, a ministry out of the Portland area that does phenomenal work in Scripture in both um, interpreting and depicting Scripture in ways that's really helpful if you're not familiar with them. So we're going to watch the Philemon video, and then we're just going to read through the text rather than trying to study it, because we're going to spend our time today on application. Okay? So here's Bible Project. Paul's letter to Philemon. It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament, but don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus, and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft, or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. 
And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Paul opens with a prayer, first praising Philemon and thanking God for the love and faithfulness he's shown to Jesus, to his people. And he then paves the way for his request with this line. I pray that the partnership that springs from your faith may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us, leading us into the Messiah. Now, a key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing or mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. Paul's saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. And for Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers, it's not just an idea that you think about, it's something that you do in your relationships. Which moves Paul onto his request. He finally brings up Onesimus. He says that he's become Paul's child in prison, meaning that Paul led Onesimus to dedicate his life and allegiance to Jesus. And so Paul and Onesimus are now family members in the Messiah. He's been serving Paul faithfully in prison, and even though Paul wants to keep him around, he knows that this unresolved conflict with Philemon has to be reconciled if they say that they're followers of Jesus. Which moves Paul on to his bold request, that Philemon receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother in the Lord. Now, this is a really tall order. Under Roman law, Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. And Paul's not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome back his former slave into Colossae as a social equal, as a family member. This is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and then treating them like a family member. It upsets the status quo of the Roman social order, why should Philemon do such a thing? And here Paul pulls a brilliant move. He recalls that key word from the opening prayer. He says, if you're truly a partner with me, it's that Greek word koinonia again, then welcome Onesimus as if he were me. And if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me and I will repay it. So in this request, we see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's first of all about reconciliation. It's just like he told the Corinthians. In the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So in this situation, Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. He will pay the cost so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. But Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's also about koinonia. Onesimus and Philemon and Paul are all equals before God. They all share the same need for forgiveness. And so the ground is level before the cross, which means that Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate to each other as master and slave. They're family members. They're brothers in the Messiah. Or as Paul told Philemon and the whole church of Colossae, in God's new family, people are not Greek or Jewish or circumcised or uncircumcised or foreigners or uncivilized or slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. 
Paul closes the letter stating his confidence that Philemon will do even more than Paul's requested. And he asks him to prepare a guest room because he wants to visit as soon as he gets out of prison. And then with some final greetings, Paul ends the letter. Paul's letter to Philemon is powerful for many reasons. It's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection, and this is not an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross with words because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul's embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled to God and then to each other. This letter also shows us that the implications of the good news about Jesus, they are extremely personal and never private. The fact that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in the Messiah, it makes their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. The family of Jesus' people is the place where all are equal recipients of God's grace. It's a new kind of society, or a new humanity, as he called it in the letter to the Colossians, where people's value and social status, it's not defined by race or gender or social or economic class. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners, who share together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. <laughs> Aren't they amazing? <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, go ahead. What they're doing for the body of Christ in terms of creating that content in ways that are really helpful in, in learning uh, is just an incredible gift that is, and it's not specific to one denomination or one tribe. They just are giving this away to, um, to the world. So that's pretty amazing. So um, I just want, before we move on from there, what I wanted to just add is that we actually, last week we kicked off our, our classes for this fall. Um, most of them fall under the banner of Wednesday Night Alive because they happen Wednesday nights on campus. But we have other classes and, and groups that meet uh, other times in the week. Uh, but we kicked them off last week, and one of those is actually using a, a Bible project curriculum in order to look at the Old Testament, or the, what we call it the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew Scriptures, but specifically to look at it and to look for the theme of God's love and a good heavenly father that we see not only in the New Testament in Jesus, we're, we're used to seeing God, God as a loving father and, and the, the love that we see in Jesus in the gospels. Sometimes people struggle to find a, a loving heavenly father in the Hebrew scriptures. And that's the theme of this, this particular study. So it's not too late to sign up. You've missed week one, but you could still join that, um, that class along with the others. So if you have the app, if you just open up the app, it's going to take you to directly to Wednesday Night Alive, or if you go to our website, one of the first things that's going to pop up is Wednesday Night Alive. You can click on that, and it will take you to that class amongst all of our others. And so even, uh, like I would say, we, we had our 101 class and 201 and 301. Those all launched this Wednesday. All of those are still accessible for one more week. After that, you've got to wait until mid-January to join one. And so I would encourage you towards that. Uh, I'm, part of, I'm, I'm facilitating the 101 class. We had a great time. And I, we have such a great group going through together. And already the community that was being forged the first week was just tremendous. So if you're new, I would encourage you to, um, to get connected in one of those. Or even if you're not new, um, look at that, at that Wednesday Night Alive link and see which one might fit you. So um, with that said, we're going to read through the letter. 
I'm going to comment on a couple things just to pull them out. But we're going to read through it this time in the NLT. That's the New Living Translation. Uh, when I taught it week one, we, we used the ESV. So this is going to be just a slightly different language to just help us to internalize the letter. But we're going to pick up in verse one of Philemon and read through. So this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Aphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I highlighted that phrase there on that slide, the end to the church that meets in your house, uh, because I want to point out something that, that may be sort of obvious, but it's really important. When he writes to the church in your house, it makes it very clear that the church isn't the building. The church is the people, right? He's writing to the people that are gathered together in that particular household church. It doesn't matter the fact that they were meeting in a, as a house church in a home. They could have been meeting in a synagogue. He wasn't writing to the building. He was writing to the people. And that's really important as we interpret this letter and as we seek to apply it today as a, as a gathered church, because um, Philemon's a really personal letter. We see that right from the very beginning. It's addressed first and foremost to Philemon and his wife, Aphia. And, um, but it's not a private letter. Right here, we see that it was going to be read and heard by everyone in the church. These, these letters were, uh, were orally presented so the church was gathered, and it was Tychicus that delivered the letter from Paul. He made the 1,300-mile journey across the Mediterranean Sea back to Colossae to read this letter to Philemon. So he showed up at the house, and he said, I've got it. I bring greetings from Paul. He's, a, he's in prison now, and, and I, I want to read this letter. So he read it to the whole church. Here's what that means. Although it was personally addressed, it was publicly shared. And that means that the application... When Philemon hears the, the, the entirety of the whole letter, he didn't know what had happened to Onesimus, right? He didn't know that, that Paul was right. He didn't know the subject of the writing until you get to like line seven or line nine. And that's when you suddenly figure out what he's, what he's writing about. And as he's applying this, the whole church, the, the household church that was, that was part of that community of faith, they were watching. They're watching to see what Philemon would do they're watching to see how Onesimus would be welcomed, whether he would be punished or forgiven, whether he would be welcomed back just as a forgiven slave or welcomed back as a beloved brother. Like, there's a lot writing on this. And, and not only that, the reason that I think Paul is writing this and wants the whole church to hear it is because they all had potential relationship with him. But I think Paul's also wanting them to, to see something that might them, make them think about their own lives. Maybe some of them were also people who had household servants, who had bond servants, who were part of an unjust economy. The implications of the potential ripples for what this one house church might do with this letter, if they all begin to apply it, it's, it's exponential. It's, it's actually incalculable what might happen if this gets internalized into hearts. There's gospel seeds being planted here that when fully mature, just might undermine the unjust economy that they lived within. Think about that. Paul writes this simple letter, 25 verses, and it's like scattering these really potent seeds of the kingdom of God. 
You know, we, 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 sometimes we talk about the kingdom of God. It's a slow kingdom coming. All of Jesus' parables, when he talked about the kingdom, he talked about it as it was something that was slow, but unstoppable and incredibly powerful. And, and, and so what Paul's doing is he's sprinkling these little kingdom seeds in this household of faith and just seeing what it might undermine in their unjust economy that they lived within. This has the potential to, transfer, to transform everything. Let's go on to verse four. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. So I highlighted that part just because I want to emphasize Paul's prayer for this church, for Philemon and the church that's listening to this. He's praying that they will recognize and respond to a fresh opportunity that he's bringing to them. Now, when he affirmed them in the beginning, he said, I am so encouraged about what I hear back about the church there in Colossae, specifically Philemon, the house, the, the house church, the church that meets in your home. I'm encouraged because there you have a reputation for generously loving brothers and sisters in Christ, even outside of your house church. They had a reputation for loving fellow believers. But he says, there's something else for you. And I'm praying that you recognize new opportunities for all the good we might do. And he's bringing them a new opportunity that clearly hasn't quite penetrated their hearts yet. And it's a way for them to actualize their faith. He wants them to flesh out their faith in Jesus specifically through generosity, generous living. ESV translated those same verses four through six like this. ESV said, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing, that's that word koinonia, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Again, Paul's praying for new opportunities to partner in ways that proclaim and, and demonstrate the gospel to new people and to new places. Somehow Philemon had, had been leading this church in his home and his, his bondservant Onesimus, which was probably one of many bondservants, never responded to the gospel while living in that house church. It wasn't until he ran away 1,300 miles living as a fugitive in Rome that he responded to the gospel. So, so there's some sort of blind spot there. And, and Paul's saying, I want this to translate into the way that you live within your human economy. Let's keep reading, verse seven. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed in the hearts of God's people. That's why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you. With him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you're willing, not because you're being forced. 
It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I actually named this message, charge it to my account. Charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I, don't men- I won't mention that you owe me your very own soul. <laughs> I love that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. You know, when we see all caps, what do we think? Somebody's shouting. They're using text to shout at us. If you type in all caps and you send your texts and emails in all caps, people on the other end think you're shouting. I would encourage you to be more selective with your all caps. Because that's, that's cultural. That's what we think. So let's put that slide back over just a second, please. So when, when we see this in all caps, here's the thing. He's not shouting He's writing this himself. Up until this point in the letter, he's been using a scribe. He's been dictating the letter, and Timothy's writing it for him. Maybe because he's old, maybe because he's literally in chains. But he's using what the, in the first century culture would be called an amuensis. It's somebody who's, who's writing uh, as, a, as a transcribing what's being said. We see that in both this letter and the companion letter, Colossians. The, Paul says, Paul and Timothy to the church, Right? But in this moment, he says, hey, give me that pen or give me that quill. And he starts writing in his own shaky handwriting because he wants, when they hear this letter being read to them, he wants them to realize that he wrote this part himself. Do you know why that's important? Because it makes it legally binding. He just gave them an audible IOU where he says, Whatever he owes, if he, or he's being really diplomatic. He says, if Onesimus owes you anything, okay? He's not, he, when he says that, he's not being hypothetical or he's being diplomatic. He knows what Onesimus stole. We don't know. We, we, we kind of infer that. We saw that in the Bible Project video. We saw the, the picture of him robbing him. There's a good chance that it was financial because that's what Paul offers is financial restitution, But he's not being hypothetical. What he's being is diplomatic. As this letter's being read, Onesimus is there in their audience while they're all hearing the letter. And so what Paul's not doing is he's not calling him out and shaming him. He's not bringing undue attention to it. But this is kind of the elephant in the room. And so he says, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I'll pay it. And what he uses here, the language when he says, charge it to my account, I will pay it. I'm writing this with my own hand. He's writing an IOU and he's using the language of accounting terminology in their day. Here's why this is important. He mentions, not, not to mention that you owe me your own soul, which is so funny, right? Because he mentions the thing that he's not gonna mention, which is just like when somebody says, not to be offensive, and then they say something incredibly offensive. <laughs> Like, as soon as you hear that qualifier, you know what's coming is offensive. Or when somebody says, it's not about the money, it's about the money, right? (laughs) Not to mention, and then he mentions it, 
But here's what he does. It's, it's, it's not an oversight. It's very deliberate because he's reminding Philemon that Philemon came to faith and Paul, Paul was kind of like the midwife that led him to faith in Jesus. And when he says, you owe me your own soul, that's what he's talking about. He led him to Jesus. And, and the point is that he's connecting the spiritual reality, what happened in the spiritual economy of Philemon's life. And he's saying, I want you to translate that to your human economy. What happened in the spirit realm when you were forgiven much needs to translate into the way that you live your life out in this human economy. There's an opportunity for you to act on your faith. Paul's doing the very thing that he's hoping Philemon will do. Paul, we read about Paul in the book of Acts. We get introduced to him when he begins persecuting the church, when he was literally hunting down Christians for speaking in Jesus' name and having them imprisoned and even put to death. And when he got saved, he realized that he had been forgiven a tremendous debt, a debt that he could never repay. And what happened in Paul's spiritual life now impacts the way he lives out the rest of his life in the human economy. So it doesn't make sense for a prisoner to say, hey, if, if this guy that is being sent to you, to you wealthy household owner, like Philemon's got some cash. Philemon can absorb this. Paul's a prisoner. I have to think that his resources were limited. But he says, hey, whatever he owes you, I'll pay it. So what Paul's hoping that not only Philemon, but the whole church there that's gathered and hears this, he's hoping they will all begin to live differently. But he's modeling it. He's doing it himself too, okay? Verse 21. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace, the book ends. The book started with grace and peace, undeserved favor, ill-deserved favor. He ends it the same way. May the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. We've been talking about this letter uh, as a companion letter to the, the letter that's more well-known, which is the letter of Colossians. And we know that they were both written at the same time, sent to the same place, slightly different purposes. Colossians was a circular letter that was going to be passed to all the network of house churches in Colossae. And so Tychicus would take it and he would read it to each church. And then after he left, he probably left it with them and said, just keep circulating it. There's a lot of good theology here, right? So just keep passing it around. Philemon is written to one house church, one congregation of faith, one family of faith. But here's the thing. They would have also heard the letter to Colossians, right? They heard them both. We, sequentially, which one did they hear first? I don't know. But they heard them both. And as Pastor Brent pointed out last week, it's, so because of that, we can overlay one with the other. And if we really want to understand what the, the house church in Philemon's church, what they heard and understood, we can read Colossians too and translate it through those lenses. So there's this really cool, I'm not gonna read all of Colossians today. There's this really cool part in, in what we have as chapter two of Colossians where Paul talks about the gospel and he writes it in order to explain the gospel of, of what they've responded to in Jesus. He uses the, the language of sin as a legal debt. A legal debt that Jesus paid for through the cross. Listen to this. This is Colossians 
When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life. New life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead has been unleashed in your life to transform you into Jesus' image. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. To apply this to Paul's perspective and what he's suggesting that the church do and what he's reminding them of, again, they've heard this. He's saying that, that Jesus covered a spiritual debt that you could not cover. There was a debt that was out of your reach. No matter what you did, you could have never paid that debt yourself. And Jesus paid it for you. And he didn't just set it aside. He paid it on the cross. And your life, if you've put your faith in him, there's now a, like a stamp across your, your soul that reads paid in full. And he canceled all the creditors. He talks about spiritual powers. What did he say? He said, uh, the powers and authorities, he doesn't explain what all he means by that. But the point is there were spiritual creditors and Jesus satisfied them all. And you're no longer a slave. To bring this, but what Paul wants them to do is to take this reality and bring it to bear on the way they live out their human lives in the human economy. That's exactly what Paul's doing when he says, charge it to my account. And he's hoping the church in Philemon will do the same thing. Listen to what he said to the Corinthian church. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We have lifted this image out of the Bible Project video where it shows Paul embodying the cross. You see the little dotted line of the cross. He's, he's, he's saying, what Jesus did for me, we're supposed to do for one another, spiritually and in the human economy. And so he's embodying the cross. In anticipation of this series, uh, I've been praying about current opportunities for us as a church to partner together. There's that koinonia phrase, to partner together in new ways that extend the gospel to new places and new people, ways that we embody the gospel, ways that we, that we internalize and actualize it and apply it to new places that maybe we haven't yet. And, and in the same way that Paul writes to the church and he says, you're doing so well, my heart is encouraged by, by your reputation. We have a reputation as a church, even as I was sharing with our 101 group, some of the stories that have shaped us. We have a church, not only, well, because of those who came before us, who, who established this place, who established this, this church family. We have a, a rich legacy of, of, of stepping out in generous ways that demonstrate the gospel. But I've been praying, God, what are the new opportunities? Would you highlight new opportunities that you want us as a church? As we apply this through Paul's lenses, what are some new opportunities for us? And so two things have risen to the top. 
as I've been praying about this. And, uh, and the, the one is uh, an international opportunity in Kenya. The other is a local opportunity related to housing. And so we're, we've got two videos that just capture those stories. So we're gonna start with the Kenya story. Well, um, we're here with uh, Dr. Vincent Kutuku today. And uh, you know, as part of our Philemon series, we've been talking about uh, what does it look like for us to enact the gospel in our time and in our place and looking for opportunities where we can actually um, kind of do what Paul did. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, one of the things that Paul did in this, in this um, letter that we're reading is that he took on someone's debt. He took on a debt that wasn't his. As a, um, as a response to the gospel. And so, uh, Vincent, you were sharing with me recently about, um, I know you were born in Kenya mm-hmm. and have continued to do work there. Uh, when, when did you move to the U.S.? Uh, I moved here with my wife and one daughter that time, 1986. 86. Yes, okay. and landed in Laramie, Wyoming. So you started in Wyoming. When did you come to Boise? 1992. 1992, April. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember I've read many articles uh, over the years and seen your, your writing in the, the paper, writing for religious uh, section and, and different commentaries and things like that. But it's a pleasure to, um, to, to be able to get to know you better. And as you were sharing with me about the, the more recent kind of, you kind of stumbled across a need in Kenya when you were there working with mm-hmm. uh, the, the two schools that you, that you run there. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about that need that you discovered? At last year, I, 2022, in May, my father happened to be admitted in an hospital. Okay. Uh, and uh, he was terminally ill. Uh, he was there for four days, but within those four days, I was exposed to the challenges of the hospital. The one which really touched me uh, was to find people who had been sick and had been admitted and they got well. And when they were discharged, they could not go home because they couldn't pay the bills, hospital bills. And, and they, so they become prisoners of the hospital. They, they become They're, prisoners. It's kind of a debtor's prison. Go completely. Yeah, they are imprisoned because of poverty. And I will find out the bill actually is very embarrassing. We are talking about $20, $30, so, $15. So the opportunity for us as a church is... Um, to, to partner with you and with your board member and, and your organization in Kenya to, um, as these needs come up, that there's resources, financial resources to just go and say, we will satisfy your debt, we will cover your debt and you can go home. The challenge, the, the interesting thing is I still see them in my face. Yeah. I still see when you tell them you will go home. Just take a mother who has a new baby Right. And uh, she has had this baby for three weeks there. Since the baby was born, she has not taken that baby to be seen by her siblings. And she, so she has other children at home? She has other children at home who are not being taken care of. So basically, uh, when you are imprisoning the mother there, you are punishing right. the children at home and you are making them vulnerable. Well, um, we're, we're excited to be able to partner with you and thank you for, um, for what you're doing. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. And, um, you know, this is, a, this is one of those uh, opportunities to see the kingdom of God extend. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Think about the Jesus Beatitudes and how he talked about, you know, blessed are the merciful mm -hmm. and, and in the kingdom of God that there is blessing uh, even for those that are living in poverty. You know, from a human perspective, we don't yes. think of them, uh, we don't think of poverty as a condition that's blessed, but the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God, there's, there's blessing for, for everyone. And there's there's more than enough. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, and thank you for the support. Uh, I think uh, somebody's going to go home and be with their family because we care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the first opportunity. It's international. We get a partner with a member of our church who has a work happening over in Kenya. Um, that very day that we were creating that video and shooting it, uh, Vincent had got a uh, message from his board member who facilitates this on the other end. And there was a lady who had come into the hospital, uh, elderly lady, I think she was in her 70s, and had come in because of an infection in her leg. She'd gotten scratched by a thorn and had become infected. And so she went to the hospital to have it treated and ended up having it amputated. And uh, after the amputation and the recovery, she was released, but then couldn't, that bill was higher. It was only $300 from our perspective, but $300 was completely insurmountable to her. And so then she was stuck there in the hospital. And so these are the type of things that we get to partner with. Um, the other video, our second video, is more local. And to set up this one up, a few weeks ago, I was the pastor on call. We always have one of our pastors is on call for the week, taking uh, walk-ins and calls and counseling and, and whatever's needed prayer. Um, I, was, I took a call from Amy that was asking a very time-sensitive uh, financial need regarding housing. And the need was far outside of what our compassion ministry team would normally do. So we have our, our compassion ministry uh, has a, they steward some of our, our finances. There's a part of your, when you give, part of our finances go into a fund that is used for financial assistance, both for people in the church and outside of the church. But they've got some, some boundaries on the way that they spend that because the need is just overwhelming. And so they have to have some, you know, some parameters on how they steward it. This need was far outside of that. But as I shared it with the team, we all had the kind of the same sense that we were supposed to move towards this one. And the reality is that the way I looked at it is, let's do for one what we wish we could do for all. We, the reality is we can't do this for everyone, but for Amy and her children, we were supposed to move towards it. Here's the video. My name is Amy and um, I'm born and raised here in Boise. I'm the oldest of um, over 74 grandchildren here in the Valley. I have um, been living with my mother for the past seven years. While living in Garden City here, um, um, our trailer park is, um, has been notified that by Dece this December that um, it's being torn down. My children and I haven't had our own space. We've been sharing a little tiny room for a long time. I've been waiting on a housing assistance um, program list for quite a while. A couple, few years, um, I've been on a couple of their lottery things to try to get in, but it takes a lot to get in on these programs. I actually came up on the top of a list and received um, some assistance from the state and it's just been hard to be able to um, support myself and my children and to be able to um, you know rent or provide a home for us on our own thanks to um, the vineyard 
um, they came together and uh, provided the deposit for us and um, just made it so much easier for us to um, and worry-free for us to get in there. And uh, when we were in the trailer, there wasn't much counter room, you know, so I just hated trying to make anything decent or cook for us or, um, like, just having um, room for the kids to get up and get involved in it too, you know. And so uh, these holidays are going to be a real treat. So for us to just be able to be free to be us now and and, and um, be comfortable and um, has made a big difference. Um, and just um, the kids and their... Uh, making things their own, making their own spaces, and um, uh, it's just been really a, just a treat for for us. And you know, getting cozy in the evenings and watching our movies. And I'm so blessed; I can sob right now. Um, but it's just been one thing after another, uh, a blessing after blessing. It blesses me so much to just think about his his hand working and um, providing for us, and um, how he loves us all so much. What Amy alluded to in the video is that um, you know she finally had an opportunity after six years to get her family into a stable home, and they were and they were losing the one that they had. Um, but she had no way to pay the, the pretty substantial security deposit. It was very substantial and completely unreachable for her, and that was what touched our hearts when she called. But we had to get creative, so the finance team out at the Compassion Center had to think about how do we creatively reach this, and then we, I also reached out to another church and said, hey, would you partner would you koinonia with us? I shared her the, the voice message from Amy and they took it to their financial team and they said, yeah, we want to we wanna do this with you. So we did a matching fund thing. And between the two churches, we were able to pay her security deposit in full. And, the, and not only that, I got to deliver it to her new home as she was meeting with her new landlord and, and give it to them together. And to then, she, she wanted me to come in. She was so proud of her home. She wanted me to come in. So I got to pray with her and with her landlord about this new home and about this new season in her family. And, and, and what I want to say is I got to do that on behalf of us all. I did that in the name of Jesus and as part of the vineyard. And you had a part in that. I wish I wished that every one of us could have a chance because what that did to my heart and understanding, it put a face on the housing crisis that we all know, and many of us are experiencing the, the housing challenge, but it put a new face on it for me, and it awakened a deeper compassion. And so here's the opportunity. We're going to be receiving a, an offering. This is a special offering um, that we're going to be, I'll put up this slide for Philemon offering, paying another's debt as a gospel enactment. So again, the global impact is for the Kenya hospital. The local impact is housing assistance. So what our, our compassion team is going to be doing is they're, we're creating a separate fund that is specifically for housing assistance. And they're going to have, create new guidelines because it's got to be different than our normal compassion fund. 
And so they're going to be figuring out how do we steward this uh, for the sake of others. But, you know, we have a heart for this. And, and even this last week, Pastor Michael uh, made some great progress on a plan that we've been working on for a couple of years now to take a part of our property that's on the other side of Creation Street that we can't access right now. We can, we've, never, we've never used it but we'd like to use it for affordable housing, for workforce housing, for subsidized housing. Um, yeah. Wonderful stewardship of the place that God placed us. And it's incredibly complicated with all of the agencies involved. So when you think about that, when you hear stories about financial housing, would you, would you pray for Pastor Michael and our executive team and our finance council as we try and figure out, we're trying to figure out a way forward. But so that's a long-term thing that we're moving towards. This is immediate because this is immediately meeting the, the crisis in our community. So this offering, um, if you go, if you do this digitally, there's a pull-down menu when you give digitally, and there's, there's going to be a, a third project that's, that's added there. It's only for this next week, okay? So it's going to say Philemon Project. And if you give to that, we're going to use it for these two things. You don't have to choose Kenya or local. It's going to be used for both. Um, and if you write a check, if you just put Philemon Project on the memo line, or if you, put a, if you do cash, you can write on the envelope Philemon Project. But here's my hope is that together we can um, be a church like Philemon's church responding to a present need. And that by, by the seeds of us doing this, that it would undo some of the injustice in our, in our economy, right? This is like that. These are gospel seeds. And so I'll, I'll close with saying this. As a church, we're not doing this out of abundance. Like I'm not doing this because our finances are abundant right now. This is not out of an abundance. It's out of obedience, and I think it's probably going to be the same for a lot of us. Like, it may not be that we have the abundance to share, but it doesn't matter what you share. It matters that you participate. And I would encourage you, whatever sacrificial giving looks like for you, do that. That's the bar is sacrificial giving because that's the embodiment of Jesus' sacrifice. He paid a debt that wasn't his, and, and he did it in a way that, that cost him. And so my hope is that as we do this as a church, that one, we're able to meet the need. This has multifacets, that we meet this, these, these needs. But I also hope that it internalizes the gospel more deeply in us and that it helps us to recognize other opportunities to express the gospel. The gospel is supposed to transform every aspect of our lives. It's not just about we go to heaven when we die. It's supposed to transform life down here. And when we live differently inside of the human economy, it changes things. And so I'm so excited we get to steward this. I believe that God is in this. And I believe this is a new story that we'll be telling future generations. Someday they're going to be telling stories about this offering we took up and how it made, it made a difference in housing. So um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, not, I'm just going to close with prayer. Um, you don't need to do this right this second. It is time sensitive. We're doing this for a week. I will say we're not going to do a special project at the end of the year for like a Christmas project. Well, we are doing our Whittier project, but we're not going to take up a special offering. So some people often save like year-end giving for a final project like that that we're going to do. This is kind of our year-end giving project. It's just coming a few months early. So you might consider that. That is, you, if you think about year-end giving, this is a project you could give towards. And I would just encourage you to do it prayerfully. As we close, I'm going to put up that verse one more time. This is Colossians 
When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Lord Jesus, as we gather, those gathered on campus, those gathered online, Lord, we're one expression of your church. But every one of us that has put our faith in you, you've done this for us. Would you remind us again of what you've done for us? And would you help us to translate that into the way that we live within our, our city, the way we live in our world? God, we pray for the, the people that we'll probably never meet in Kenya. We pray for the local people that we get to help that we'll, most of us will probably never meet. That you know every one of them by name. And Lord, we want to enact and embody the gospel in ways that are true to who you are and how you see others. Lord, would you use this to destroy, destroy judgments that we have about other people, destroy racism, destroy classism, destroy judgmentalism? Would you use this to destroy? As we recognize what you've done for us, would you in turn help us to be extravagantly gracious to others? We pray that this would glorify you, that this would proclaim to our city and to our world, this is who Jesus is. Would you use it to form us to be more like you? Would you use it to transform human economies in Kenya and here in Garden City and in Boise? Lord, we pray that there would be uh, freedom and safety and shelter for all people. May this offering be pleasing to you and would you bless it? Amen. Amen. Some of you have the capacity to do, to, to, be, to participate in this in significant ways. I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to share this. If there's somebody that you think would want to be a part of this, share this message with them and um, they can partner with us as well. That's our key word here is partner. And um, I love the fact that when we got to do this for Amy, it wasn't just us doing it. We got to partner with another church. And there's something beautiful about that as well. So feel free to share this with other people. And um, apart from that, just know that it's, it's, it's this coming week that you get to do this. So you have time to go home and pray about it, to, sh- to talk about it as a family if you need to do that. Um, but don't sit on it too long. Uh, apart from that, we do have some ministry. We're gonna have some ministry time up here. And I wanna name two things. One, if you came this morning with physical healing or spiritual healing that you need, um, I invite you to just come up as we close. We're just gonna close, we're closed now. But you can come and, and receive prayer. And our, our ministry team would love to pray for you in that way. And if you have never responded to the gospel, this verse we've read a couple times about Jesus paying our debt, if you don't have the confidence that your spiritual debt has been paid once and for all by Jesus Christ, that across your life is written the words paid in full, 
If you don't have that confidence and you'd like to pray with somebody, I would also invite you to come up here and we would love to pray with you about that as well. All right? Church, I love this church. I love this heritage that we have. I love the fresh opportunity for us to step into something new. Let's go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.